0: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Awesome Woodies. Awesome Woodies are the original portable hangboard company made by hand here in Australia. They were making these boards years before anyone else. Maybe you've seen their boards hanging off the cliff or a tree at your local crag. They're everywhere. And do you know why? Because they work. Nothing else is going to get you warmed up for your project like the cliffboard will. No more shall you pull onto your project with unrecruited fingers. No more shall you burn precious skin doing extra warm-ups. The Awesome Woody's Cliffboards are here for you. They love you and want you to be ready for a full day of awesomeness. Their Cliffboards still lead the way with quality, durability and functionality. Plus, they weigh almost nothing. Take the Cliffboard Petite, for example, one I personally designed with the team. It weighs 280 grams. Mate, My Vegemite sandwich nearly weighs more than that. The cliff boards are also great if you don't have the ability to have a proper hangboard set up at your home. If you do have space for a fixed hangboard or campus board though, Awesome Woodies have got you covered. The homeboy hangboard is the boss. The wood edges on this board are super comfortable to spend a lot of time hanging from, even when you've trashed yourself all weekend at the crag. Awesome Woodies can also cover your campus board with all the grips you need. Campus rungs in four different sizes, sloper rails and half balls. Everything is there for you to power up. Now, for those of you into a minimal aesthetic or just like boning down, Awesome Woodies have got edgies. Pairs of six, eight and ten mil edges made out of premium Tassie oak, which is sourced from sustainable plantations. So not only do these edges look the goods, they're doing good. In fact, all the Awesome Woodies products are made from sustainably sourced timber. Their commitment to the environment and quality really sets these guys apart from the rest. So head to awesomewoodies.com, chuck in baffledays at checkout for 15% off your next piece of game-changing equipment.
1: Welcome to the Baffle Days podcast. I'm Amanda Watts and I've got two co-hosts with me tonight, Matt Norgrove and Leah Dempsey, so we can turn the podcast on to Tom O'Halloran for the first time and ask him some questions about becoming Australia's first male Olympian. So to set the scene, um, we're two weeks now out from the Oceania Olympic Selection event, which happened on the 19th and 20th of December 2020. Um... And you won, Tom.
0: Yeah. Yeah, pretty crazy. <laughs> and, um,
1: and we should mention that um, Oceana McKenzie won the female spot. So, she's the first Australian female to go through to the Olympics also for sport climbing.
0: Yeah, yeah. First time that sport climbing has been in the Olympics. So, um, yeah, it's kind of cool um, to see. There's a few new sports uh, at Tokyo, I think surfing, skateboarding, climbing, and maybe there's something else, maybe not, but it's like a new frontier for uh, the Olympic sports. The one
1: we care about, sport climbing, and maybe a little bit about surfing, but tonight we're going to talk and about And a bit about skateboarding.
0: Climbing. Blackheath board riders represent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I think for anyone who doesn't understand the process of becoming an Olympian in sport climbing, um, I think... Tom, you're probably the best person to explain that to us.
0: Um, Yeah, so uh, basically there was 20 spots up for grabs um, in the male and female categories. So um, they came about through the world championships in Hachioji, Tokyo in, uh, when was that? 2019, which is two years ago now, crazy. Uh, Well, 18 months, thanks covid um, so there was, I think, seven spots up for grabs there. Then there was a quota taken from the top eight athletes perhaps or something like that from the World Cup events from the 2019 season and then five athletes from each of the Continental um, Championships. So that was Europe, Asia, Africa, um, Pan America and Oceania. Um, and then I think there was one more special consideration spot given as well to get the total of 20. Um, whoever's doing quick maths in their heads can work out if I've got all those numbers right, but it's something like that. Um, yeah, so we just had our Oceania Championships finish um, two weeks ago and we were the last um, last athletes. Osh and I were the last athletes who
2: qualify for the Olympics. So now that a little bit of time's passed, I know that um, directly after the competition, you're a little bit overwhelmed and hadn't really had time to set in. in. Now a couple of weeks has passed, Christmas, New Year's out of the way. How are you feeling about the whole situation? Yeah, it's
0: still pretty surreal. It's weird to think like Olympian, Olympics, going to the Olympics kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. It was like one of those things that... um, It's the Olympics. Like, who doesn't know about that and who didn't kind of have some sort of dream about going to the Olympics, being an Olympian? Like, it's the one sporting event that everyone knows about. Like, I don't care about athletics except for when the Olympics is on. I don't care about volleyball except when the Olympics is
2: on. You're spot on and the Olympics is something that everybody can relate to and it doesn't matter what activity it actually is people are able to look at it you know from an outside perspective and go wow this is an olympian you know competing for their country um what i'd like to ask you is you know you've spent yourself and amanda have spent a lot of time interviewing numerous australian climbers and so forth um for the past how long's when was baffle days born 18 18 months ago two years yeah, it was about two years ago, about I think. About two years ago. Yeah,
0: Christmas Day, I think our first episode went live. Yeah, cool. iTunes approved us. <laughs> so
2: <laughs> what What I'd, I'm i really, well, I already know quite a bit of this, but a lot of the listeners wouldn't have heard of your background story um, and how you sort of went from being, you know, brizzy boy climbing in the mango tree in the backyard and how you actually became involved in, in climbing, where it all started, um, you know, what, what did your athletic background look like? You know, I know that you've played a bit of cricket in the past, but give us a bit of a rundown on how it unfolded as a as a young Brizzy boy.
0: Yeah, so I think I was just, I don't know, I was always one of those kids that always um, just liked moving, running around, doing sport and all sorts of different things. Um, and I th- think like mum, I, I used to climb out of the cot. Mum would get frustrated that, I was climbing out of the cot and she's like, yeah. And then I was climbing around the walls at home and climbing in the mango tree in the backyard. I'd watched a Tarzan movie that I had and then try and do the Tarzan things in the mango tree. Serious
2: question. How many times did you fall out of the mango tree?
0: Not once. <laughs> and that's why an Olympian. <laughs> that's a few <laughs> better than me. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I, I, I think I probably fell out a few times, but no broken bones. Yeah, so that, just that kind of stuff and was like doing laps around the house, climbing and... It was just, I don't know, it was always something kind of fun. And I remember watching when I was eight years old, we were up at, um, here's a little f- funny thing, um, up at Baffle. So Baffle is actually a place, Baffle Creek, um, which is what this podcast is named after. Uh, but we are up at Baffle watching uh, at a friend's place because we didn't have a TV, watching the opening ceremony of the Sydney Olympics year 2000 and I didn't know what the Olympics was at that point and we are watching the opening ceremony and just seeing all these people wearing track suits and this big fire in the middle and they were waving their flags and you're like, what's that? That's another country. Oh, where's Uzbekistan? And they're flying their flag and I was like, what is this? And mum and dad are, and, you know, the few other people there are like, you know, this is the Olympics and this is... A big sporting event and everyone comes together and does all this stuff for you know two weeks somewhere in the world and now it's in Sydney it's like whoa I want to do that (laughs) and you just like I don't know there was something about it that was pretty it was crazy like you know everyone watches the opening ceremony of any of the Olympic Games or any of those big sporting events it's just like this crazy spectacle and it kind of just hit me and I, I sort of had this idea. I was like, man, I I want to be a part of that at some point. And then I ended up, um, yeah, I don't know, trying to find a sport that I was good at in a way. I was like, man, oh, I just want to find something that I can be the best in the country at <laughs> so that I can go. And then... Um, you know, I went through the, all the usual different sports um, as a kid, like played a bunch of cricket at school and swimming, um, track and field, cross country, soccer, basketball, volleyball, like you name it. I played at AFL, rugby union. Like broke a couple of collarbones. Broke collarbones and all sorts of Got other. Got to wear
1: lots of track suits.
0: Yep. But not the green and gold one yet. <laughs> um, but then in 2004, so four years later, it felt like a lifetime which was, you know, 50% of my life at that point. I was from eight till 12. Um, then found rock climbing at Urban Climb at West End.
2: So, so just to put it into context, you're born in 92, right? Yep. yep.
0: So I'm so. 12. So it was my 12th birthday. Mum and dad said, you can have a birthday party at Urban Climb with six friends, or you can join up to the geckos program, which was like the kids club thing. I could join up for a month it was like a similar price at that time and um, I was like ah I'll go the geckos (laughs) and um, just went from there and just loved it from the beginning like I remember just with my shoelaces practicing doing figure eights to tie in and after my first session learning about what crimps and slopers and pinches and jugs and everything where I was doing my homework to try and it was my self-prescribed homework to try and remember all the different um, hold types and I'd like cover up the list and try and re-remember what they all were and I'm like, oh, I forgot pockets, write, write it down next time and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Um, I just loved it.
3: So how long were you climbing for before you started competing?
0: Uh, I think that was that was another thing at that time was just um, like this, the social series in Queensland was just a thing that happened and it's like, rather than going outdoors that one weekend, you'd compete at the social series. And that was just a really fun thing and everyone was doing it. Um, So competing was always there. And like I I came down to St. Peter's a few times to like there'd be nationals there, um, Hard Rock Nana Wadding in like 2005 maybe.
1: Your dad told me just before Oceana, on the Tuesday when we were down there having our last session, that um, you always came second or third to Axel and Dan Fisher. Yeah, those guys were guns. <laughs> I was like, guns. shut up, Peter. <laughs>
0: Axel would always come first yeah. <laughs> and Dan would come second <laughs> and I'd come third. And then every now and then I'd slightly like just get ahead of Dan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. those guys, that was this youth B was when I... Very competitive. Yeah, it was a competitive category.
3: Would you say that you're a competitive athlete or just by nature a competitive person?
0: Not at that time. Mm-hmm. Nah, I was pretty chilled back then. Yes, um, he is now. <laughs> I think now <laughs> changed I've a bit. found my competitive drive. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but I think, like, that's only been in the last two years maybe um, that I've kind of found that, you know, kind of mongrel. But back then it was just like, you know, it was what it was. And we'd, mm. we'd end up going to... A, a, what happened we went to New Zealand to Oceana in Wanaka in 2007 um,
1: you went to Ecuador
0: I went to Ecuador for world youth champs in 2007 with that
1: uh, and competed against Adamondra
0: yep yeah I didn't know who he was at the time
1: how old were you then
0: I was just turned 15 and then yeah <laughs> so I'm over there I'm like oh yeah sweet I've climbed like 24 I'm gonna <laughs> just like smash this stuff and um, Axel was there, so I was like, cool, I'm going to come at least second at World Youth Champs (laughs) because Axel's probably going to beat me and then I reckon probably no one else because I'm pretty close to Axel. (laughs) And then um, so we we ended up, we flew into the capital of Ecuador and um, had probably two weeks or something to acclimatize because Ecuador is at altitude. And so coming from the Brisbane River to Ecuador, which is like, or Quito, I think, which is the capital. And that's at like two and a half thousand meters or something. Mm -hmm. Um, So we had a training camp there and then for a couple of weeks and went to Ibarra, I think, or Ibarra or whatever it's called. Um, (laughs) Can you just say that again? Pronounce it. (laughs) Ibarra. Like the locals. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But we ended up meeting this, um, Finnish girl, Rosa Hutekorpi. I think that's her last name. Um, her brother's super strong boulder as well, but, uh, she knew a whole bunch of the Europeans. And so we're going around Quito and, um, go to this cafe and she, she bumps into like the Slovenians and Czech team in the street. And she's like, Oh, you guys should come, you know, we're going to a cafe to have some milkshakes or whatever. And, um, There's 20 of us there, all a bunch of kids. And I'm sat down one end of the table and a few of my other teammates and a few of the other, you know, nationalities are down the other end. And then one of the guys from my team is like, oh, Tom, shouts down the other end of the table. Oh, this is Adam. He's from the Czech Republic. I'm like, oh, hey, mate. And he's this like ultra skinny gangly kid. He's got this like funny fedora hat on an ill-fitting button-up kind of Hawaiian shirt, um, some, uh, what are they called, cargo kind of three-quarter pants, Mr. Bean socks and sandals. <laughs> I was like, you look like a pretty funny kind of kid. You're and um, old... he's like, sweet, I'm going to beat you. You don't look like you got much going on. <laughs> and Andy's like, yeah, he's, he's from the Czech Republic and he's climbed 36. <laughs> You're like, oh, no, I am screwed. I've climbed 24 and the <laughs> first kid that I meet that isn't Axel has climbed 12 grades harder than me. <laughs> I'm screwed. And like the, the hardest route at the time in the world was like realization and maybe a couple of other things like Chris Sharma had done it. And you're like, God, I'm against some sort of weird kid version of Chris Sharma.
1: Mm. Um, Did you beat him?
0: No, no. <laughs> you just got unlucky, though, I
2: thought. I thought you yeah. just had a foot slip. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. you would have been. Yeah, man.
0: <laughs> but no, it was pretty fun, that trip. Um, I came 12th, I think, which is at the time the best any Australian youth had come at a World Youth Champs or something. I think it was like the fourth year that the World Youth Champs had happened, but I'll oh, claim <laughs> it.
2: <laughs> so between moving to the, the mountains um, and 2016, you spent uh, a huge amount of time working and climbing mostly on on rock outside in the blueies Nara, grampians um but at, around that i can't bit hazy on you know when it ex- was exactly but 2015 2016 we found out that there's a chance that climbing may have be becoming an olympic sport at that point in time what was going on in your head was it something that you were um instantly drawn to thinking that you know your passion your lifelong passion is now going to potentially be an olympic sport
0: yeah that that was a um it must have been around yeah 2016 or something like that um that was a weird piece of news because i think at that point i was just like i was 100 percent a um outdoor climber it's like just that was what it was i didn't want to hear about the comps like remember hearing about people watching the world cup live streams and you're like you nerds like how boring is that and you hear that climbing gets in the olympics and you're like whoa far out i could be one of those people like i could maybe transition into out uh, indoor climbing and do it but then they announced that it was going to be speed lead and boulder all in one like some sort of weird triathlon and you're just like Ugh, it's just like that's bollocks
1: you had been in some comps i, I think yeah, i'd done bouldering bouldering comps
0: state state bouldering 2014 yeah i'd done
1: with audrey on the podium because you become a dad at that point
0: yeah so that was the first comp that i'd done since 2009
2: perhaps i think yeah and like correct me if i'm wrong here but at that point in time speed climbing was something that Very few people, particularly in Australia, actually trained for. Like, I knew that there were competitions Mm. and so forth, but there weren't people. I
1: don't think we had speed comps in Australia, did we?
0: Uh, I I think there was, like, a few speed comps, but it wasn't the proper wall. Unofficial. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, it was just, like, someone had set a 22 at St Peter's or something on the the slab or whatever, and you'd just have, like, two people top roping Mm. and... Yeah, and and just it was like I don't know. Speed climbing's always had this like kind of, uh, I don't know, runt of the litter of the climbing kind of thing. It's just like oh, it's the the thing that doesn't count. Unless whatever. you're
1: unless you're into speed climbing, like the speed is mm. in the nose, or if you are actually. Um,
0: yeah, but that that's outdoor climbing, not mm. indoor climbing. Like no one gave a shit about like <laughs> what Australia. the Russians were doing. Yeah, in Australia. Yeah. But that's what we care about, the stuff that's <laughs> happening in Australia. <laughs> what so made you
1: change your mind then? Um, I remember what? being in Seuss with, when we were on our trip to Sayus.
0: Yeah, when was that? 2016.
1: 2018. Is it that late? Yeah, okay. 20, and, um, 2018, I think. And Lee Cossey's mum and dad were staying with us and they were looking after Audrey. So Tom and I got to. Go. So we'd
0: been kind of like trying to work out whether or not i would go in the olympics yeah basically
1: oh and he was trying biography at the time we're both climbing we're walking up and down to Sayouz by ourselves taking audrey up as a three and a half year old some days and it was just pretty cool it was a really nice thing to do and debating whether or not the what the olympics would look like and what the training would look like and how that would fit with work and um, family life and trips overseas and funding and all that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. and i think
0: yeah that was um yeah because sort of like worked out that sort of in a position to be able to potentially contend for the spot and i'd kind of half wrapped my head around from the initial just like no bloody way am i doing speed climbing like i can't believe that climbing's had to do that like we don't need the Olympics to justify, you know, us as a sport and for us to have to put speed climbing in as part of all of that and blah, blah, blah. Wrapped my head around that and was like, oh, maybe it's worth trying. And yeah, we're at Seuse We're in the south of France on a climbing trip. It's pretty amazing. Do I want to be here listening to the birds and having fun red pointing? Or do I want to be inside dealing with speed climbing and comps and doing those silly parkour boulders and all that bollocks? I think
1: also to give it a bit more of a um, depth to that thought process, um, you've got Tom and I who have a daughter who's three and a half. I've got a job. Tom's got a job. We're like lucky and live in Australia, first world country where we get to live in the Blue Mountains and have climbing really close, but we're not super rich people. So, and the sponsorship that we both have is mainly gear-based and, you know, Tom might get um, less than $1,000 every now and then towards stuff. So, to think about self-funding World Cups and... Um, training and the amount of time off work to train for three disciplines.
0: And we live an hour and a half. Yeah, living an hour and a half from the closest mm. climbing, climbing gym. gym.
1: It wasn't just a flippant decision about, ah, we like outdoor climbing better or yeah. mm. Tom wants to try realisation instead of that. It was how, what is the cost of this emotionally, financially and everything else going to yeah. be.
0: And I think the other thing too was that I didn't want to show up and be a, um, be a participant. Like I wanted at the Olympics, to, if yeah, you got the spot. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to show up and know that I could put in and put in the effort and be a contender for, you know, maybe not the podium, but, you know, give people a oh, nudge.
1: Give the podium a red hot go, yeah. you know, or whatever it is. I
0: didn't want to feel like I was just showing up with a, you know, hey, I've got my participation medal. Yeah, you're an Olympian
1: um, now.
3: Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, so it was, um, I think at the end of that trip was just like, no i don't want to do it it's too hard yeah it's too hard i i I don't feel like i wanted to sacrifice as much as i felt like i was going to need to to um to do it and was pretty content just going back to say and going to spain and hanging out in the blue mountains with my family just going rock climbing because that was amazing and that's what i wanted
2: to do Mm. i also think that um Particularly, people that you know haven't been climbing for a you know a, a longer period of time, they don't actually um, realise how much of a sacrifice it is to train specifically for climbing competitions. So, Blackheath, where we live here, um, it's the epicentre of rock climbing in Australia. Really, and we're really fortunate to be here. But in terms of training facilities, what we have is is very good for specific things, but it's quite limited. So, you know, if you're wanting to train for speed, for example, there's uh, the nearest walls uh, an hour and a half away at mm. Villawood. Um, and the, uh, and the nearest
1: lead climbing gym is Penrith, but that's not...
2: Uh, I don't think you can lead no. at Okay, Penrith. you can't lead at
1: Penrith, no, Penrith. No, top rope Penrith only? No. Okay, so you've got Villawood, Villawood again, which is yeah. an hour and a half away. Mm. Yeah. On a good so, day. Yeah, so if you're trying to work 40 hours a week or 30 hours a week and then fit in training for speed, lead and boulder... And you add in three hours of travel to get to the city and back to do that. Mm. it's Yeah, it's it's a massive commitment.
0: Yeah, and I didn't want to make that commitment at that point, Mm. basically.
1: Then something happened, I can't remember. I think my brain rolled over.
0: Well, we got to... So, we got back in August, I think that year, let's call it 2018. I, I think it got round to the beginning of the next year like the, the Olympics thing, it just kept on coming up and you're just like, man, this is like a childhood dream to be an Olympian. Can I actually give up on that dream? It's like, yep, I can. I can give up on it. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to do it. No, I can't. I can't give up on it. Yes, I can. No, I can't. And that just kept on going around for about six months until it kind of came to the beginning of what if, It must have been 2019... Um, and I'd done a few of the comps in the previous years like I I won bouldering nationals in 2017 um, had done lead and boulder nationals in 2018 I think it came like third and second or something at them um, or whatever it was just to kind of keep my foot in the door with it because I still wasn't 100% in or out but then Amanda and I just kind of over the time, she was just like, I think you really need to consider what it's going to be like if you don't be a part of it. Like, it's a pretty incredible opportunity to go for it and you don't want to have missed out on that. And I remember it's like, oh, far out. I just don't know what to do. And it was coming into, I guess, the 2019 year for signing up for the Australian team to go to the World Cups and all that sort of stuff. And she's like, you need to make a decision now as to what you're going to do.
1: No, I said, you've got to do it. like, And if you want, you've got Audrey and I's complete support to do it.
0: And I remember you you said, I I I think you should go for a run. I would do it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So you need to do it.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
0: And you said, I think you should go for a run and just go have a think. So I went out, ran out sort of along Hanging Rock Road, And listened to um, Eminem (laughs) and just got totally amped up and... um I can't remember what the album is but You it's got one
2: got, shot? Is that the Yeah, yeah. Pretty much <laughs> Every time every About time. as cliche I was, I as was, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheesy yeah. I was watching <laughs> one of the World Cups the other night IFSC World Cups And that song came on to Yeah Like Jakob Schubert climbing And I was like Yeah Yeah <laughs> <laughs> So uh,
0: I just remember coming Just having this feeling on like The last little leg of the run Coming home Was just like I'm gonna Fucking do it I'm gonna Fucking try To become an Olympian And came home to a manor and was like, "I'm gonna do it. Yes, it's gonna happen." And um.
1: And then Taylor Swift came on. Yeah. No, it wasn't really at all. (laughs) Don't lie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um. But yeah, and then we just kind of got into that, and
2: was like, "Cool." Well, then we were on the. How do we? How (laughs) do we work out how to catch up? Do all this like Mm -hmm. I think it was probably April or something. I'm going to say yeah, March April 2019. I remember seeing you put up an Instagram post.
0: Mm. That was my accountability. Accountability,
2: and I was like, wow, this is. I don't want to pull out now. I think I was sitting in the coffee shop with Leah. It's probably like a misty day, not climbing, going, (laughs) wow, it's going to happen. So, and I thought that was a really that was a big point in time because, as you say, Mm. you made yourself accountable, and um, from that point on, um, I guess how did your your training and approach to climbing in general change
0: you know it's really easy to think that like being a good outdoor climber and being an indoor climber are interchangeable but like that fitness and the skills and techniques and all that uh at least for blue mountains climbing are so different so you can't just kind of like rest on your laurels and go outdoors at least for me um so, I needed to learn how to be an indoor boulderer. I needed to learn how to lead climb indoors because it feels weird for me. It feels really strange. Like, I don't know, there's something about it. It always takes me a few sessions to get it, my head around it, even though I've been climbing outdoors a whole bunch. Um, we
1: spent a lot of time in 2019 dropping Audrey at school and driving down to the city yeah. to learn how to boulder on those boulders. Yeah, You were a quicker learner than me.
0: Yeah, there's just a lot of, a lot of driving down of to driving. Sydney,
1: um, racing back up for school pickup.
0: Yeah,
2: and yeah. a lot of planning and teamwork as well. Being a young family, yeah. and obviously you are both working, and then you're spending time outside as well, Amanda climbing. Less time outdoors less that time. year. But, yeah, it was funny but, but wait, because I Amanda s- had
0: her own indoor goals that year for the comps because um, we had. The combined nationals at the end of 2019 which were going to be the um qualification for the australian team to get into the Oceania championships um so the goal was to get into the top eight for that for tom for, for the tom. overall so speed lead and boulder and amanda was um i wanted to go
1: in nationals as as a 41 year old and see how well i could do yeah you had those, your own goals for and try and teach myself how to boulder on a completely different style. Yeah. So, going, I used to go really well, I think second in last bouldering nationals on the old style boulders, and then have a kid get older. I still think I'm young, but people would call me old, and then see how well I could do. So, it was kind of fun training together, but certainly outdoors didn't happen as much as it could have.
2: And Amanda, you've represented Australia in World Cups in previous years as well. Not well. Said, well, <laughs> not yeah, well, but, be, but yes, you I have. understand the process at uh, process yeah. and what's involved in doing what Tom's doing as well, yeah. and the commitment and sacrifices that you've got to make. So, yeah, um, <clears> yeah,
0: that that was a big part of it. Was um, yeah, trying to get to the World Cups basically for us. Sort of once we'd made that what. Yeah, we'd made that commitment to trying to go for it. There was a whole bunch of people, which was amazing, that just came out of the blue and were just like, let us know how we can help. We'd love to try and, you know, give you money to help you and just like, just like, you know, members of the Blackheath Blue Mountains With community. Julie McVie, a
1: friend, mm-hmm. said um, we want to raise some money for Tom and we talked about it and both of us thought crowdfunding is for people with cancer and for people that have had tragedy happen in their lives and we felt really uncomfortable trying to raise mm. money and so we'll just try and borrow money or something or use credit cards or whatever we need to do to get yeah. Tom overseas. And she said, let people make the decision. You know, people like to get behind something that makes them excited and something that's positive. So let people make the decision themselves and as to whether they want to put money in or not. And if Tom doesn't do it, then we're going to do it for him. Mm.
0: Yeah, so we're just like, okay, I guess we'll do it so someone else doesn't have to. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, thanks, Julie. Yeah, so that was awesome. And like that money went like 100% directly to getting me over to uh, Europe to go to the Chamonix and Brionne World Cups and um, the World Champs in Hachioji in 2019. And they were my first World Cups and that was pretty incredible experience like it was pretty insane to you know over the last couple of years leading up to that i had started to watch the world cups on tv and just was like i'm so wrong about the people that i used to slag off being nerds watching this these are so much fun to watch Mm. and and then suddenly you're there doing it it's like this is insane um i didn't have the best preparation i was had a cold wasn't COVID that didn't exist at that time but I'd had a cold for a month before leaving for Europe Um, so I wasn't super fit but still ended up going kind of well enough Um, I was pretty happy with how I'd climbed um, and learnt a lot like it's insane just how much you can learn from climbing up 25 holds on a wall just like yeah it was pretty awesome and then that got me pretty psyched and you know more equipped to go to um, yeah Hachioji in 2019 it was that like August or something Um, and I felt like I climbed quite well there um, on heat number one I think I came fifth on that route out of like all the people like yeah climbed super well. the
1: same spot as Adamondra on that first route I think.
0: Yeah same same move as Adamondra beat a whole bunch of other people um didn't climb quite as well on the second route i think i just yeah
2: stuffed up a couple of moves um, so on on average tom how many athletes are, are competing like so world championships in, in chamonix uh, on average how many athletes are we talking i think about? there was like
0: 90 men yeah at each of those world cups um, just in the lead up to World Champs, because World Champs in Hachioji was going to be the first of, first opportunity f- for anyone to qualify for the Olympics, so everyone was like just getting their final preparation in. the The Chamonix and Brian ones World Cups were like a month out from
2: prior to the competition itself. What did the preparation look like in the lead up? Innsbruck, I know. I know you spent some time in Austria. Yeah, yeah, climbing. Um, with a lot of the athletes there and their awesome facilities. How did you find that? You, how
1: early did you go over? Because you were over three uh, weeks a, week. Be- a week.
2: I think I flew out a week before the
1: comp.
0: Chamonix comp. Yeah. So, in the lead up to going away, I was working at um, Scenic World. We had a shutdown. We were replacing parts of the train um, that is there. It was like, zero degrees I had a cold it was just like out in the open it was freezing cold they were just doing um, general maintenance and inspection on the rides it was all like totally legit but it was just a lot of work Um, it was just like big days we're doing 40 plus hour weeks um, for the few weeks leading up to me going away but then yeah got to Innsbruck and that was pretty amazing that facility like It's insane, that cletocentrum gym. Like you just, you can't wrap your head around how big and awesome it is. Like it just, you see photos and stuff and you're like, that's incredible. And then you go there and it just blows your brains. So
1: for people that haven't been there, it's the height and the volume of roots and the grade of the roots.
0: Yeah, like it's what happens when you spend... 80 million euros just on the walls and then there was some i think it was five million euros on the holds and don't quote us on that don't quote us on that but it's something very close to that so if we
1: think about grade 29 let's just pull a number like how many grade 29 routes would there be
0: 50 plus
1: and then uh grade 34
0: routes six or seven
1: in australia Well, okay, let's talk about New South Wales. How many grade 29 routes are there in a gym that you can train on?
0: Two. Two, yep. Uh, On a good week. Yep. Yeah, it's like insane just how many hard, good routes there are there just set. Mm -hmm. And then the boulders are awesome. There's four speed runs all dedicated set up exactly the way it needs to be done. And the like the climbers there as well just make you You're lift. climbing
1: next to 20 people that are all on routes 32 and above. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you just get
0: used to how to climb like 32 on those types of holds as well. Like those fiberglass crazy volumes and stuff. Like it's just, it's crazy what they've got. And you see that and you're like, that's how Austria produces...
1: Jakob Jacob and Jesse Pilts,
0: like the the legacy else that, that they've that's got. Awesome. It's yeah. like they've got these facilities, and it's not the facilities that makes the people; it's the community and everything else. But
2: and God it helps. yeah, you become a product of your environment, right? Hence, why Inns, Innsbruck is the the centre of training, more hard training in Europe, I guess. And the Slovenians
1: um, might argue that they're, they've got a good,
2: but the Slovenian team is there.
0: Like I saw the Slovenian youth team there at Innsbruck and it's like these 11-year-old kids that are coming out to try and do their on-site practice.
1: So I guess also to give some more context, um, in the World Cups, what would you say the grades of the qualification routes are for the men?
0: Uh, For the men, they'd probably be somewhere around 31-ish. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. But it's like it's it's funny when you say that because you're like oh thirty one oh it kind of like sounds, on you know if you fit or whatever but they're kind of in this um, it's a it's a funny style as well mm. like the, there's thirty one and then there's thirty one it's yeah. like um, thirty one on a big wall is very different to thirty one yeah. in Centennial Glen so
1: and then finals
0: I'm not sure I haven't been in finals yet <laughs> <laughs> uh, no I think they're quoted to be about 33 ish yeah. mm-hmm. and i think for the women the heats are maybe around like 29 or 30 and the finals are about 31 32 or something like that don't quote me but it's somewhere around there so yeah it was pretty awesome to just like be a part of that whole scene and just mm-hmm. see all those professional athletes just going at it and um i think that that first heat that I had at at Hachiyoji just kind of gave me a bucket ton of confidence of just like that is how well I can climb and that's always been like a standout for just I don't know I just felt flow and confidence and awesomeness.
3: So coming back obviously you would have been exposed to a lot of super strong climbers did you need any, feel like you needed any assistance in the process of kind of your journey to qualifying for the Olympics or how did you go about organising your training schedule and preparing and it would have been a pretty overwhelming task, I'd imagine.
0: Yeah, it's funny, hey, because like, I don't know, I, I've just climbed basically and not mm. done too much training. He was not a lover of training. I hated it. That's how you got injured in my opinion. I used to have
1: to convince him to train because I love training.
0: Yeah, I just didn't want to train and I never, yeah, I never really trained. I'd go to the bouldering gym at the Bolo or whatever and have a boulder and I'd go outdoors and try and get pumped or whatever, but I never wanted to actually train. But yeah, I got back from Hachioji and it was kind of late August, I think, and then there was sort of like this string of events. There was, um, I think, New South Wales state bouldering titles and then something else and then At the end, like November 2019, was going to be um, nationals, overall nationals, so speed lead and Boulder. And I was thinking about getting a coach involved at that point just to kind of help me prepare. But I was like, ah, I've done it by myself so far. I'm just going to go through and do it. And so, kind of devised my own training. Um, Amanda works with Steve Bechtel. And we'd spoken to him and you know I sent him a bit of a overview of what I was looking at doing I was like hey man you know do you mind just glancing at it like you don't need to do too much but if you know if you don't mind and he looked at it and was like yeah cool that looks pretty good maybe think about doing this and so I did that yeah I was a bit nervous going into nationals but got through it I won somehow I wasn't sure how I managed to do that but won the overall won the overall. Um, I think I won the lead, came second in the boulder, came and oh yeah, yeah, like fifth or sixth or something in speed. But yeah, that that was great, and I qualify for the Oceana Championships. And then it got to a kind of early January twenty twenty.
1: It was December because December. I, yep, because I went to Canberra with Lee Cossie Oh, that's right. Yeah, and ran a workshop at Duncan Brown's climbing um symposium thing yeah and um i rang you from there after spending five hours in the car with lee talking about training and stuff yeah, and like, rang you i and think I'm,
0: you need to get lee involved yeah yep. so i was like all right and that was a big um i don't know so the oceana champs which was what was going to be our olympic qualifiers was at the end of march mm. so it was basically three months Um, until that was happening it's like that seems like a really short time and a huge huge commitment to just like I don't know leap of faith basically to just be like cool teach me how to get there and it felt scary to put that kind of trust in someone else yeah it was a bit of like a bit unsure as to how that was going to go but I sat down with Lee and was like look man this is what I want to do. Like he knew what I wanted to do, but just to be able to talk it through, um, he's like, "Cool, let's do a quick couple of assessments."
1: He's like, "Cool, I've been thinking about your climbing for the last ten years, anyway." Yeah, <laughs> finally <laughs> this is exactly gets exactly what it into I practice. think you should do. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, so he he we did some assessments. Um, he worked out where I was weak, where I was strong. Probably not many places I was strong. It's um, <laughs> like so cool, you can get better at all these things which was awesome. And he just came up with this training program for me and it it adapted and changed a couple of times as we got closer to the event. But that was, it's pretty insane how much work I had to do.
3: Did you, was it a surprise to you?
0: 100% a surprise. It was like at least double what I did in the lead up to nationals, Yeah. basically. Like it was such an insane workload. I was getting up at like 4.30 in the morning to do a strength session before starting work at seven seven o'clock and then would finish work at five o'clock he'd
1: always make Audrey's lunch for school though
0: (laughs) yeah Um, yeah finish work at five o'clock come home eat a bowl of Nutri-Grain or something and then go up to the bolo and do an endurance session and come home at nine o'clock at night Amanda will have made dinner ready (laughs) for me I'd eat that and Go to, to sleep, sleep at nine
1: thirty and mm. repeat. Yeah. By the time we got two weeks out from the comp, a friend of ours, John.
0: Yeah. So it got to. Oh, it's just so much work, and it was hard, and like the pressure of it all started to build up. Like the pressure of, you know, the build-up to the Olympics. Mm. You know, it's the qualifying, and all these people are talking about. And there's it only and
1: one spot. Mm. It's not like there's second or third. Like, I think it's. You know, if you imagine going to the cliff or going in the boulder gym and you have one go only to do that project or that problem, and if you come off, that's it. You never ever get to, let's say you don't get to climb again, or, mm. you know, it's, it's, yeah, I think the realization of that was a bit sickening at times yeah. with the amount of work and sacrifice and time. I mean, look, we're talking climbing, we're not talking, you know, disease or famine or anything. There's so much, so many bigger things going on in the world, but, but it's a, big commitment and yeah it was yeah. full-on
0: life-changing yeah. commitment yeah and, <laughs> and you yes. kind of through all of that like you know you i'm missing out on spending time with amanda with audrey um he's grumpy i'm grumpy like i'm missing out on doing fun bouldering trips or bolting trips or going to the crag and just hanging out yeah, yeah. and yep. you're just like uh, that kind of um conflict or or whatever the word is in my head of like, Oh, I want to be an outdoor climber. Oh, I want to go for the Olympics. Just the noise turned up really high in the sort of three weeks before the March event. So the beginning of March, um, 2020, it's just like, Oh, I'm just like, I'm so ready to pull out. I'm done. And it was like, it had built up and you're just like, I'm, I'm over it. I just want to get out of here. And, um, yeah, we'd, um, we just released our podcast with john sheridan um the peak speak guy check out his podcast um but he he's runs, a strength and conditioning coach. Strength in yeah, canberra burly strength awesome guy yeah super awesome dude super knowledgeable um and he's a great coach and i was just messaging him because he does a bit of climbing as well um
1: and he has done uh like he's a power lifter and yep. so he's trained his ass off at times
0: So I sent him a message just being like, oh man, I'm so done. I'm like, I'm out. I hate everything. I just don't want to be a part of it anymore. And he's like, perfect. That's where you want to be. That's when you know you're ready. Every time I got into a powerlifting comp, like two weeks out, I knew I was ready when I hated everything. And everyone. Yeah. And everyone. (laughs) I was like, get out of my head. And he's like, perfect. You're ready. (laughs) And then COVID kicked in. So that was like the 19th of January, uh, 19th of March, I lost my job. And I think like two days later, um, the comp got called off and that was, yeah, it's like a week out from it happening. And so just like built up and like gotten to a point where I was like, yeah, cool. I'm ready to go. And then the comp gets called off. And I remember just this like amazing sense of relief at that pressure valve just being opened, but then also just like, ah, that kind of sucks. But now I can go outdoor rock climbing, <laughs> and so just with went, all this strength, with all this strength, because I just felt amazing, and I uh, just went outdoor rock climbing a whole bunch because uh, I didn't have a job and there was nothing else to do. And closed. to add a bit Gyms of context in
1: between, a bit of panic about uh, yeah mortgages and.
0: I was a complete and like and freak out about yes. how we were going to pay for stuff. Cause that was terrifying. Yeah. Yes,
1: it was terrifying for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And yeah, then we got our pack. shit together and survived.
0: Yeah. But yeah, just went out to a bouldering cause everyone got psyched on bouldering. Um, and just went nuts for about eight weeks feeling amazing. And Tried then to do your project. Yeah. Proceeded to injure myself in three different ways. <laughs> um, which was fun
2: so yeah the Oceania championships original oceania championships um scheduled in for the end of march and then the covid thing blows everything out of the water no one saw that coming and then you've got all this spare time up your sleeve you do a bit of climbing like i think just about everyone did in blackheath and get finger injury Mm -hmm. um at that point in time you weren't sure as to when the the Oceania event was going to be rescheduled because of COVID, we're all in limbo. And um, also there
1: were... I mean, it was a bit weird for the competitors like because we spoke to a number of them. And, you know, we had lockdowns happening and all sorts of stuff. So there were gyms closed. There was... Yeah,
0: it was all just a bit funny. Um,
1: we quickly built a wall under the house so that at some point Tom could keep training.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was all funny trying to work out, I think... You know, no one knew at that point. And at that point too, there was still talk of the Olympics going ahead. I was just like, well, how are we going to get an Oceana athlete qualified? Um, and then as it turned out, there was sort of this kind of qualification that had happened um, at Hachioji where if the Oceana event couldn't go ahead, then the highest ranked combined athlete from Hachioji from Oceana would go, if that kind of makes sense. But basically anyone that competed in speed lead and Boulder from Oceana at Hachioji, whoever had the highest ranking, would go. So that was going to be Osh McKenzie and Campbell Harrison. And so suddenly I was like, oh, man, like tried to get into the combined team but couldn't and at the time thought, ah, whatever. Like,
1: We'll have a selection event. We'll
0: have the selection event and that'll be fine but then you find out that actually that could have been my one shot and that stung and I was chatting to a few of the other guys and they're like oh that sucks like we didn't realize that that was there like that potential was there and um yeah it was a real bummer to to find that out and the Olympics are kind of getting closer and you're just like this sucks like hopefully the Oceana event can kind of go ahead but maybe it can't and then they call off the Olympics and it's just like what is going on like Mm. everyone's in lockdown like it's just I don't know yeah everyone's just trying to work it out Mm. at the time and I've
2: done two pulleys and a knee so through that period of time what I find particularly um, interesting is how you keep your motivation to train and keep focused on the, that picture of you know, qualifying for the Olympics. Um, a lot of climbers, including myself, um, struck with things like finger injuries, knees, that really um, limit your ability to climb and in some cases do any training whatsoever, get into a bit of a slump. Um, what I was pretty Im- impressed with was the fact that your finger was quite bad but you manage to train in ways um, where you're actually getting gains in other areas, with core exercises or whatever it may be, but you're able to keep that motivation and keep the training ticking over so that you're in good shape when Oceania came around again. Just talk us through, you know, what, what you, I guess, what you, you did at that point in time to sort of stay on top of the game. Um, yeah, I think, like... So, I did my first
0: finger, and that was kind of annoying, but I could kind of keep on doing a bit. I was like, oh, cool. I can tape it up and still, you know, keep climbing fairly well. I can't like go full ball out crimp. And then I hurt my knee. Um, and all three of these injuries, in hindsight, you can see coming. And, but yeah, hurt my knee just like basically strained the I'll probably get this wrong but I think it was like strained the hamstring insertion off the lower part like underneath my knee where your hamstring attaches to underneath your knee whatever that part is the fibia tibia whatever. you pulled on a heel hook too many times yeah and it just like went twang and strained um, and that really sucked and hurt but after about a week I could boulder okay on the wall under the house and couldn't pull in with my toe but could just do like this dumb kind of front step thing I was like okay cool you know I can still climb I can still do bits and pieces and that was fun and then finally did a finger um, my right ring finger I think it was and that like uh, yeah I didn't hear it go bang but had a pretty heavy boulder session under the house and then a fingerboard because I was just too psyched and then woke up the next morning and it was just so sore. And then at that point, I just threw the toys out of the cot and um, threw the baby out with the bathwater and was just like, cool, I'm done. That's it. No more climbing. I'm, I'm out. And I think it was just this like kind of pressure release as well of just the lead up of nationals in 2019, all the training through March or, you know, up to March. And all of that. And then even a bit of the COVID stuff. It was just like, I just needed to blow off steam. And that was probably June 2020. It's just like, yeah, didn't do anything for about six weeks.
1: It was awesome. I got a belayer. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And I felt like I got a bit of a life for a minute as well.
1: (laughs) I think I'd just like to say one thing though. And that is that um, Tom just loves climbing. So a day at the cliff, like what makes him happy is going to Elphinstone And doing as many laps as possible. Like that's not suffering. That's fun.
0: That's the best day ever.
1: Yeah. And so I think you just accidentally maintain a level of extreme fitness doing that. It might not be perfect fitness for indoor climbing, but you get a lot of volume of climbing and you like doing hard moves and you get psyched. And yeah, when you feel stressed about not doing a hard move, you don't think, oh, I wonder if that person thinks that I look dumb on this problem. You're like, I know I can do this problem. I'm going to do it.
0: Mm. Yeah. And like, it's it's funny too, like the injuries. Um, so I've always been really good at taking time off at the end of the year or, you know, whenever it is, it generally is the end of the year because it's summer and crap conditions and, you know, festive season. Everyone's kind of happy to hang out and chill. Um, so I've always taken about two to three weeks off of just like zero climbing and have been really quite injury free. Through all of that time. And even like, you know, I'll build up to a big red point. I'll do the red point, feel amazing, do another week or two of climbing. And then if it's mid-season, I'll just take a week off and just stop and just chill. Because you just like, don't need to keep turning it up another notch. Because it just feels like that's when you're going to hurt yourself. And so then in March, like if you took Oceana as the the red point day for the sake of argument. Like I built up to that point and cause it didn't happen. And then suddenly I had all this free time. I was like, sweet, I'm just going to go hard. Mm. And I just went hard for essentially two months and my body just couldn't keep up. Like it was just, it just broke. Like I was going bouldering outside three to four days a week basically, as well as doing some stuff under the house because I was just like...
2: Coming into primo psyched. conditions as well. Yeah. that sort of April, like... March, June. And I was psyched the
0: for Hump of Trouble. I was yeah. like, oh man, I'm just going to do it this year. I feel amazing. Like all of this stuff is building up. Like conditions are just starting to get good. And... Um,
2: Hump of Trouble is uh, Tom's 36 slash 37 project down at the Underworld. Yeah, I kept on
0: falling off that a lot and
2: just wanted move. to get it done I, I think you're right like that's particularly important um especially here in australia having that slot of time where you just rest because we can climb year round here mm. we've got the luxury of doing that and i've seen so many climbers and including myself um just push it that little bit too far and then before you know it you've got two blown finger pulleys that i think are in
1: leah. leah leah and tom are two people that are very good at listening to their bodies in that way Leah, you're quite happy to take time off when you need to. Maybe verging on
3: the point of lazy (laughs) sometime. We'll call it that, though. We'll call it intuition. (laughs) No,
2: we're just clever clogs. Yeah. Yeah. If lazy means you can climb hard year-round, then I'll I'll be lazy.
1: (laughs) So then I can't remember when we got told the comp was back on. I think it might have been October.
2: There was was a lot of talk
0: about it needing... So Oceana needed to happen by the end of 2020, was the rumour going around. Otherwise... Uh, Campbell and Oceana McKenzie were going to be the two qualified athletes yeah. um, based on the Hachioji results. So, yeah, everyone was like, oh, well, when's it going to happen? Like, how is it going to happen? Um, Melbourne was locked down. Sydney was mostly locked down, but starting to look better. And um, they picked was,
1: the latest date they possibly could, basically. Yeah,
0: basically, I think in October, like, They picked the 19th and 20th of december and said this is the date that it's going to happen and basically aside from government restrictions and lock like stage four lockdown it's going ahead going ahead no matter what like Mm. no matter who can get there like how it happens this is the date it's happening and if one person can show up then that person gets the spot which is what happened in europe like, it's I what think happened as in Europe, and it was an across-the-board yeah. IFSC, so the International Federation came up with that rule. It's not like a, you know, national thing. It was the International Federation said it's got to happen. This is it. I think that was partly a International Olympic Committee thing as well. It needed to happen by the end of 2020.
1: And as long as someone can get there, it that will be the selection event. Yeah, and that was that was that.
0: So that that was. I think announced in about October.
1: So then Tom had to get the car out of the garage again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. that was <laughs> Along with
2: the jumpstart leads.
1: Yes. I think we had to get a few jumpstart leads. Several
0: jumpstart leads. Yeah. I kind of hit this. Yeah.
1: I think you and everyone had hit that point.
0: Yeah. We bumped into a
1: lot of um, Tom competitors. Tom Farrell was one of them. was the just cliff. like,
0: oh, I've got to go speed climbing again. Yeah. I think mm. all of us were kind of in that boat. Yeah. It took me a week or two to get. Like all right cool, I think at that point I'd been climbing a bit in narrow and starting you know my finger injuries were better and my knee was getting better um, so I was feeling kind of okay climbing but not amazing and just the idea of getting into hard training again sort of felt ouchy on my body yeah, it was a bit of a rough start but then I spoke to Lee again it was like cool man, it's happening let's make it happen um he'd given me a few exercises to keep kind of current with, with my finger injuries and knee and stuff. So, um, I was able to kind of work around that stuff pretty well. So that was awesome. Um, but yeah, it was go time. And so buckled in and I, I felt, I felt really good going into it the second time around I was like, cool. I've, you know, I'd had a nice time at Nara climbing with Amanda and Audrey, um, had some nice time off and it was just like, felt like i'd learned some good lessons from march and was like cool let's make it happen
1: and then we hit the end of november and you wanted to
2: pull out
0: yeah yeah it got to the end of november so probably eight
2: weeks of training in or something so you reached the john sherman point and you hated everyone and everything john sheridan. <laughs> sheridan. John, sorry john <laughs> sheridan um and you hated it was kind of every- it was worse than
0: that it was way worse like it it made um how i felt in march the first time around it made it that feel like a unicorn movie like i was just i did not want to do it i didn't want to be there i was feeling really quite low emotionally um lonely lonely because i just spent so much time just training by myself um too much time in the car just driving up and back to do a speed climbing session by myself like yeah it was just brutal i think
1: adding into it that um with covid and work the work situation it's not getting preparing to try and get an olympic spot means that most other things in your life are on hold so it's not like you can go i might try this new career path or i might um might try and go and study it's that's all you can think about and I think you know when you've got there's certainly no pressure from me financially or anything like that but just I think you wanted to move forward with work and other stuff in your life too and felt like you're in a bit of a holding pattern
0: yeah exactly yeah like there's just um there's other stuff other than climbing at this point in my life that gets me psyched and lights me up and it felt like a lot of that stuff had to go on the back burner while the Olympics was happening because you can't go into the Olympics half-baked.
2: And, and also it's the fact that you are, it's this huge life-changing decision and you're committed to training X amount in a week and travelling and so forth. Um, but also on the day, it can all end with one slip, right? Yeah that's the yeah. That's the huge thing that you've got going on in the back of your head, right? You or, you put all this, pulley, or you blow a pulley. Or you blow a pulley. Ankle mm.
1: just before. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Mm. So there's an element of luck there as well. And when it comes down to that, it's like, oh, geez, this is a lot of pressure.
0: Yeah, there's certainly a lot of pressure with a lot of that stuff. And I think um, I just basically it hit that point with the training load where you just feel beaten. Because your body hadn't quite caught up with the recovery, you'd kind of hit maximum volume with the load, and you just like feel utterly annihilated, basically. Yeah, I just I felt so crap, like had felt lower than I had in years and years and years, um, and just didn't want to do it, and it was like kind of at this point me like. I don't know if I'm going to survive going through the next month. Like just, yeah, didn't know what kind of shell of a person I was going to be at the end of it from an emotional point of view because it's just, yeah, missing out on time with Amanda, missing out on time with Audrey, missing out on moving forward from a career point of view um, and other stuff. Yeah, just the pressure of that, like, I mean, Tom Farrell and I were chatting one training session where we um, were at the gym together and just saying, like, it's a unique comp in that first is the only position that matters at this comp. You know, if you go into nationals or any other comp, if you come second, it's like, ah, bummer, nearly one, but that's still second. Whereas at this comp, if you come second, it's like, you might as well be last. It's like first is the only position that you want. And so there's a lot of pressure on that. And yeah, getting there healthy is another thing. Like
1: everyone in Blackheath is sick.
0: Yeah. yeah. Everyone's Blackheath is sick at that point as well. So you're like trying to dodge the Rona around the place. <laughs> there was no Corona up here, but it's everyone right just up. had a, a bad cold. There's was a good stuff. stint of
2: gastro as well, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and, and that's part of being an athlete. Hey, it's like, yeah, sure, you got to show up on the day and, you know, climb better than everyone else. But part of the journey is getting to the comp uninjured, not sick. Like, that's part of it. Um, so, yeah, you got to dodge all those bullets. And that was, that was a bit stressful as well. But, um, yeah, I, I, was, I was very close to pulling out, basically. I had a very, like, confronting conversation with Amanda there are a few Where tears, There's tears. I was crying because I just felt so terrible. And Amanda's just like, if you want to just pull out, but I think you know, have a chat with a couple of people. So
1: <laughs> I called in the cavalry,
0: yeah. I called in the cavalry. I chatted to a couple of friends up in Brisbane, um, a couple of friends in Leigh Cossey, um, as the coach, um,
1: fam parents
0: parents, chatted with Duncan Brown, who's the coaching director of SCA, who's a good friend as well.
1: He didn't and want to talk to any of them, though, when I, I made him answer his phone. I
0: was <laughs> very resistant to help, for sure. I didn't want to... It's like, no one's going to convince me to but he's stay in it. I don't want to stay in it.
1: You just didn't want to be convinced, but no one was going to try and convince you. That yeah. You just needed some people to listen.
0: You just needed people to listen, basically, yeah. Well, you would have and felt was,
1: quite
3: isolated, I'd imagine, being like no one else in australia well no one in the world has been an olympian in climbing like you don't have anyone to talk to or mm. someone who's been through what you're experiencing and like that's quite a lonely feeling i'd imagine like
1: how you're not going to d- talk to your other competitors at that point in time because no one's going to be well, that yeah. emotionally vulnerable with each other exactly just before the comp yeah. yeah yeah
0: yeah for sure and and that was part of it was just like you know you you bump into someone in the street and they're like oh you must be so excited and you're like you have no idea how bad I feel right now like I just do not want to be here like and and that was a tricky thing you just like you didn't want to be a party pooper to someone but you just like I'm flipping hurting right now and this isn't fun yeah yeah it was it was pretty tough and you just needed someone to listen to you and there was Some awesome people
1: including you guys
0: yeah that um that were able to be there as friends and and help me through it and um i think one of the other things things that kept me going apart from you know friends was also just thinking if i pull out how am i going to feel when i'm watching the comp on the day like fast forward to the 19th of december i'm sat on the couch watching the live stream How's that going to feel? How's it going to feel on Christmas day? How's it going to feel in five or 10 years time? Or even, you know, watching the Olympics um, in 2021 as, you know, sat on the couch, knowing that I pulled out when I was a week out, or, you know, a month out from the comp. And there was this feeling of regret that was there. You're like, I don't want to have that feeling. I just need to try and keep on going. And so that was where, you know, chatting with friends kept me going through it. But yeah, it was not fun, basically. Yeah. I think the
1: lesson from it is, is trying to actually get to connect with people, letting people Mm. in when you need to.
0: And, And you also hear that stuff of like, you know on the other side of a tricky thing is awesomeness and you're like that looks great on the instagram quotable quote yeah yeah hard stuff comes to those that you know or good stuff, well, after good stuff hard comes stuff. to those that try hard yeah and then when you're actually in the middle of it and it's really hard bark me it is hard like mm. i just have a newfound respect like for the olympians that go through it it's like it's not just the training it's the sacrifices and it's sacrifices that you don't realize until you're actually there in it both as you know a partner as a child and as the athlete like it's it is flipping tough Mm -hmm. um just going through that whole process but um yeah finally kind of found some solace
2: correct me if i'm wrong here in a lot of ways for you climbing on rock is like your medicine right so thirty-eight, thirty 30 days out from uh, the oceania 19th to december you've got to go through this bit of a slump and i know that you slightly altered your um, approach to training in the lead up to the comp and you included a few extra days outside just for your mental health and and getting that dose of medicine
0: yeah yeah a hundred percent yeah like getting out on rock is just something that means the world to me and And from a
1: training point of view the work was done Mm. a month out from the well you know a few weeks out from the comp
0: and and i knew that like you know one of the things that duncan said to me because i was you know know, having trouble with just trying to have good training sessions he said a happy tom is going to be better than the Tom that showed up to each of the training sessions. Mm -hmm. Like if you need to skip a session or go out on rock to do your endurance because that feels better, then that's going to be way better than going to the gym and just grinding through an endurance session. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, getting out to Elphinstone just with friends and just connecting with what it's like to just go climbing was so – like incredible it was awesome and just had some amazing days like I'm just running laps on stuff that I've already done but you're just coming up with novel ways to make the day fun and interesting and also like you know I was trying to reclimb something that I'd not been on for a couple of years and trying to do it first go and if I couldn't do it first go do it second go or whatever so I was still trying to like re-remember how to kind of half on site and try hard on terrain that I don't know. So there was still that training element to it, but very much just fun cliff days that I missed. And yeah, it was funny. Like I'd be doing a speed climbing session on a Friday or something and people like, Oh, cool. Like let's do endurance tomorrow at the gym. Like I'm going out on rock. And a few of them are like, what do you mean? It's like, Oh, it's my mental health day. Like, that's what I need to feel good.
3: So sounds like you had a pretty intense year and a bit going through that whole process. How did you feel on the day of the comp and just leading into it? How did you feel mentally?
0: Yeah, that that was um, definitely, yeah, crazy kind of leading up to all of it. But I think coming through that period in November, late November, when I was like pretty ready to pull out, I kind of... I don't know, just came to this, like, such a surreal feeling of complete kind of, I don't know, it sounds, whenever I say it, it, like, just sounds so cliche and bollocks, but just this immense feeling of gratitude and, like, just fullness. Like, I just came through the whole process and was just like, gosh, I just feel thankful for the whole process yeah i don't know i just like just felt good and this feeling of lightness like there's something about just talking about the dark stuff and i I spoke with a sports psychologist as well amanda's like you need to get a sports psychologist i was like oh i don't really want to i don't want to talk about that stuff and blah 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 but it was awesome i chatted with him and every week yeah every week for three or four weeks before the comp um so he came in quite late in the piece but it's just good to be able to debrief basically for an hour and he he had a few good things to say about um competition day and that sort of stuff but but yeah just the, like the the feeling kind of going into the competition stuff was just yeah i just, I just felt this kind of lightness it just kind of hit this point of like the work's done and i I kind of found this headspace where you're just like, everything that I've done has led up to this point. And if, you know, I know what I can do in the speed climbing. So, basically, like the competition's super tight. My main competitor, I felt like, was Tom Farrell. He is exceptionally quick on speed. Um, He and I have gone basically back and forth for first and second at bouldering comps for the last few years. Um, and he's not a shabby lead climber. That's like not I've, to
1: take anything away from any of the other competitors. Not, they not at all, all. Like, so like I reckon there was probably
0: five or six people that you would not have been surprised if they won mm. the comp. Like, so, but in my mind, the person that I was chasing the entire time was Tom Farrell. Oh and so... Yeah, that like felt like a lot of pressure to go against him. But I kind of hit this point where you're just like, I've done all of the work. And if I show up on competition day, even though I know that in training, I ran like a 7.7 on the speed run. And I know I've done that a few times and I can do it. If I run a 9.3 and I stumble my whole way up it, then... That's the best I could do with the skill set that I currently have on that day with everything I've done. That's the best I was possibly able to do. And there was this feeling of freeness of accepting that. It's like, I'm going to try my absolute 100% hardest. But if that ends up being the scrappiest speed run of my life, that's exactly what I was able to achieve at that point in time. Like for dealing with the pressure and all of that stuff, that's what I was able to achieve.
1: I think you're really good also at putting each attempt and each run aside. Like you've, I have to say you've been someone that doesn't get too nervous in competitions.
0: Yeah, I I didn't feel nervous in the end going into it all. Mm. And there was this, I don't know, it was just like, it's so hard to describe, but it just felt amazing. Like I felt so happy going into the comp because it's just like, I feel so ready and awesome. And if I came last, that would have sucked, but I still felt, just felt awesome. And I think too, like I kind of stumbled across this um, or a friend put me onto it, um, Stoic Philosophy, where they talk about um, within that, there's this last time meditation where it's basically talking about you go through life and sometimes you do things for the last time and you don't realize that you're doing it for the last time. And you take that for granted. But then he's like, well, there, there are some things, like if you go to your favorite restaurant on the night that it closes, you're going to enjoy that meal way more than if you went to that restaurant and then a week later you find out that it closed. So going on the last day... I was warming up for speed climbing and going into, you know, this three races on the final day. It's like, this could be the last time I ever do speed climbing. And I came to a point with speed climbing where I I genuinely really liked it. It was really fun. It taught me a lot and I fully enjoyed the process. I'm never going to speed climb again after this comp if I don't make this spot. (laughs) But there was just, there was... Such a fun feeling to it. It's like, I'm just going to soak up every single moment of this because this is awesome. Felt like I was just playing for the whole weekend. It was it's, really fun.
1: I just had to be careful what I said.
0: Yeah, I did get grumpy a couple of times <laughs> at things she interested. would say. It's like, don't say that. Why would you say that to me? <laughs> yeah. But yeah.
1: Only another seven months of eggshells to go. <laughs>
2: So, out of the uh, three disciplines, speed was the first. Um, and on finals day, you placed second? So, yeah. Think.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Broke my PB. Um, oh, my God. Which
1: Nellie was? Broke my mind watching him.
0: I don't know what my previous nerves. PB was, like, officially, really. But um, it now sits at 7.1 something.
1: 7.12.
0: 7.12. Yeah.
2: And Tom Farrell came in first yep. on finals day. And yep. what was his? So, we had a head-to-head race yep. as
0: the final, which was awesome um and he he cracked the seven second mark which was, was insane 6.89 six eight eight yeah. i think yeah it was so, like such an awesome thing and i was just like at that point like had that like if this is my last ever speed race that was the most fun thing ever in the whole world because we both just like yeah, just the two of us head to head. You were neck and neck until the last it, three moves. It was insanely awesome. So it felt like a big moment in the comp, that thing, and and that was yeah.
1: best best case scenario aside from winning. But second was not not something in the maths that I'd done in my head.
0: Yeah, I had. <laughs> yeah, Amanda doesn't believe in me
2: so much. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I remember on my uh, on that particular day, I finished work late. Um, for reasons that I won't explain here, but I wasn't very happy because I'd intended on being home in time to watch you on the big screen at home. But instead, I was sitting in my car, not driving, of course, and I was looking down at my phone screaming as you went (laughs) up the wall. So um, so what is, just so the listeners have a bit more of an idea, this is a 15-meter wall, right? And the world record is currently...
0: For the men is point eight, I think
2: so 5.48 and you're doing it in, in uh, seven, 7.1 7.1 yeah. Yeah.
0: and that didn't feel like as quick as I could go so I didn't do like super specific training as such for the speed so I think now having the Olympic spot oh, it feels like you know even without the specific training that's almost one of my stronger disciplines now when you look at the other competitors so it's unfortunate to say that um But, yeah, that's a spot where I can definitely make up some places at the Olympics. Do you know when I I knew
1: his head was back in the game was when he said to me, when I get the Olympic spot, I'll start training for speed again mid-January. There you go. (laughs) And I thought, I think he's going to get the spot. That's where you want to be. And and I think his head's back in the game.
2: So, second discipline, boulder. Yep. And that was uh, a very very brutal... three boulders interesting to watch yeah the
1: setters didn't uh, i spoke to one of the setters before that round and they said i'll be surprised if we get a top on the men
0: yeah so we had one top out of uh seven athletes having four minutes of attempts on three different boulders uh so you know do the maths of how many times people were able to pull on there was one person that got up one boulder um but the boulders were awesome they're really great boulders i think that's the standard that we need to that and even harder that's what we need to have in our bouldering gyms in across the country because um, that's that's hard and that's what makes our athletes better and
2: um how have yeah. you just while we're on the topic how have you found adapting to um the run and jump style where once upon a time you know everything that we practiced at the local gym Here in Blackheath for years was all about just how hard you could pull on a 45 and small holds really. And now all of a sudden it's gone to this well, not all of a sudden, over the last ten years, it's transformed into this run and jump parkour style. How did you adapt to that?
0: It's been a slow adaptation, but it's been kind of fun. Um there's a lot to be learnt in it. And I think similar to speed climbing, if you can just open your mind to it and look at the technique and the different ways to have to learn and do it it's I really enjoy it actually like I'd still give me the option between pulling on a 45 or a run skipping a jump it's like I want to go pull on the 45 but yeah they are pretty fun and they test I think the great thing about those boulders is that they test you in a different way and they can there's only so hard that you can pull on the 45, really. Whereas those boulders can separate the the athletes in a novel, interesting way. Um, and they look spectacular for the crowd. And if you can get more people watching, there's more money and blah, blah, blah. But that's a rabbit hole. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, they're, they're fun. They're fun fun boulders. And I think a lot of people really enjoy it. And it's it's cool to see.
2: So discipline three lead, which is the final um discipline of the day. You're um,
1: probably your most comfortable discipline.
2: Would you say?
0: Yeah, yeah. I felt the most confident going into that round. Um we came out and did the viewing, looked at the route. It's like cool, it's long, it looks kinda hard.
1: Insecure climbing, your favorite?
0: Yeah. If so in this discipline, like or in in this format of the Olympic format, Basically, if you get competitors that both get to hold 34, it'll go back to who got there quicker as to who gets kind of ranked higher or lower. Uh, and so that's a bit of a tricky consideration to to make. Um, but looking at that route was like, I think I can get to the top. I don't think there's going to be many tops, if any. So I'm just going to back myself to, rather than climb it quickly, I'm going to, just climb it as if I would and so you've got a six minute time limit but I was just like I'm just going to climb it and back myself to get to the top and back myself that no one else can get there Um, so I came out I think second last and felt like I climbed super well I stuffed up the last move basically I rejigged my left foot one too many times and just as I went to go my left foot just kind of popped off the hold and I stood on air basically I was feeling super awesome and in control and then just suddenly i was falling backwards i was like no so That's, that was this
2: sorry amanda
1: here. so footwork is on the list of things to work on 100 <laughs> percent, leading up to the olympics so there's no more air stomps
2: right and that was off <laughs> that was this going to the second or the last hole going, going to the second last hold. second to the last hole yeah yep. right and how hard do you reckon that like how hard do you think that route would be it's difficult to say i know but especially the way those comp style routes are actually set yeah. um because they're designed to get progressively harder than you get i suppose i um, guess it
0: yeah hard to know but i guess maybe 30 or 31 or sure. something yeah um it's probably written at the bottom of the route now i think it's probably still up at phillywood there people can go try it sure even. yeah yeah um but yeah, probably something around that.
1: It was a pretty weird experience though because so Tom gets, to that, gets past Tom Farrell's high point and then a few people look at me and they're like, Tom's won. Tom still makes me teary thinking about it actually.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I, I came down to the ground. Um, at that point, all the competitors are allowed to be out watching. Um, that James have climbed still got to climb. So the people that haven't climbed yet are still behind the wall. That the people that have get to sit there and watch so I get lowered down and Tom Farrell's there um Ben Abel and you know James uh James wasn't but you know a couple of the other guys and they're just like good job man it's yours you got it and it was just this kind of surreal moment where you're like what do you mean because I hadn't done any of the maths of what was going on and they're like yeah it's yours like you got the spot and I just I didn't want to believe it in a way. Cause I don't know if anyone had watched the European Champs, but watching Sasha Lehman was in first position, he'd had the Olympic spot, one climber to come. That climber wasn't in contention for the actual Olympic spot. But based on how he climbed, he disrupted all of the leader rankings and Sasha Lehman went from first to second and someone that was in like third jumped up into first. And so I had that in the back of my mind cuz James was still to come and I was like what if James beats me like cuz I hadn't topped out. Like what if James beats me and like does that change he anything? He still couldn't have won. But Tom and wouldn't every, believe it. Everyone's <laughs> like no 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 it's yours like here's the maths and they're like showing me the screen. And my brain's doing the math and I can see that James still can't beat me but I couldn't believe and it. And also
1: you know, Tom Farrell's parents were the first people to come up before what, we're still waiting for James to climb. Tom's being lowered off virtually and Tom Farrell's parents come and say congratulations and you feel gutted for them because Tom Farrell hasn't won but you're excited and happy for us because <laughs> Tom's won and then Tom Farrell's lying on the ground next to our Tom and he he's processing the fact that he's not going to the Olympics while Tom O'Halloran's trying to process the fact that he is. It was really yeah really weird yeah but basically
0: like you know Duncan Brown was on the other side of the gym and just caught my eye and he's like it's yours gave me the thumbs up and he's like you've got it and he came over and yeah I was crying I broke down and just started crying because just the the whole weight of all of it just was came off my shoulders and it was just like yeah it's one of those experiences that you just like all of the hard work and everything before the comp started I felt like it had paid off and then suddenly it was just that much better like it was yeah just insane and um yeah pretty special and a dream come true and then suddenly you're just like wow that's it like that's how it happens
1: now I've got to go pee in yeah. a cup
0: <laughs> Yeah, now some fella called Nigel or something Has got to watch me pull my pants down to my knees And my shirt up to my chest and stand there And he watches it come out So they
2: don't even use a mirror
0: anymore They actually watch you It's fully no, like mirror. full HD <laughs> watching you Yeah.
2: Yep. So I had a brief exchange of words with Tom the next morning Congratulations, all the usual stuff that you talk about but I did say to him, I hoped you, hope you stopped at McDonald's on the M4 on the way home. And he responded by saying, yeah, I got a, actually got a medium cheeseburger meal or medium quarter pound meal. Me, medium there quarter pound meal, meal with a lemonade. We were so hungry. <laughs>
1: Neither has it eaten properly for two days.
0: I hadn't had Tom McDonald's had been... in six years or something. Not, it's just because I just don't actually like the food. I'm not like, a ooh, I don't eat that crap. I just don't like the flavour of it, <laughs> but there was nothing open on a Sunday night at eleven o'clock on Woodville Road. Yeah, it's, it's and so we hard got to find yeah, go in there.
1: And uh, by the time we'd hit the M4, I think our heart rates had slowed down enough to realise we were hung, really hungry.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so so I ordered my quarter pound medium
2: quarter pounder meal with a lemonade. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And then uh my response to that was, you didn't even get a large. But then Tom's response to that was even better, and that was, "That's why I'm an Olympian and you're not." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I screenshot that and I saved it away, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's 2024, right. Nora yeah, Olympic, home. I'm coming
1: for you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the happy meals from <laughs> here on in.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. Now it is um, kind of a weird diet that you have over that competition day because you sort of like can't eat like heavy normal food because you just feel like ugh and you got to process it all Um, but you need to make sure like this is where Amanda was awesome to make sure that I was fueling properly throughout the whole time Um, because it would have been so easy to have just eaten red frogs eaten red frogs (laughs) and sometimes the red frogs are quite good but as a whole meal for the whole time it's not enough and you yeah anyway you end up just eating bits of food and i didn't feel like i'd eaten properly in about two days
2: and yeah the quarter pound of meal didn't stand a chance <laughs> <laughs> but it is true though like as far as diet's concerned you don't know what you don't know do you really yeah. like you sort of think oh yeah i eat pretty well you know what i'm eating should you know work well for my climbing but in actual fact i would have been lost it. and yeah. i I
0: honestly, think like the way that that day progresses. Like, so day one's a twelve-hour day. Day two's seven or eight hours. Like, if you don't have good sustained energy levels for that whole time, this sounds like a shameless plug. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you would have been lost. I would have been lost without like eating that proper food. And I reckon fifty percent of the day comes down to putting fuel in the engine like you can have the best engine in the world but if you don't have the fuel for it then it's just a lump of weight
3: that's a good tagline premium Noddy 10 yeah
2: that's
1: what you want <laughs> premium nutty 10
3: book your <laughs>
2: consultation now <Yeah.
1: laughs> oh, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay so what's next
0: oh i don't know seven months of training um yeah, yeah what is it the beginning of january now mm-hmm. third or fourth of january um I was pretty psyched actually. Like the, the next day, even driving home from the comp, I was like, oh yeah, I'm digging into doing training. Um, Toned it back a little bit, and I've just taken two weeks off from training, not to um, repeat the March. Two injuries. weeks off from
1: training with a few fun boulder sessions.
0: Yeah, a couple of. Nothing crazy though. But it's just been fun to take the foot off the accelerator and chill out and just enjoy a bit of time at home and stuff. But I feel pretty hungry to dig in and do some good training now. Um, Yeah, and just see how far I can push it for the Olympics. Yeah, I feel really motivated and psyched that I can dig in and... Do as well as you possibly can. Yeah, give it a red hot crack. So, yeah, it's kind of fun to just be an Olympian and give it a go. I'm not there for the participation medal. There for the tracksuit, but... (laughs) not the participation medal
1: there to beat Tamoa.
0: yeah yeah and i should say like you know initially i was really quite skeptical of the whole combined format and a lot of people were and i think a lot of people still are but far out it's been a fun thing to do like i would never have touched speed climbing but it's been so fun to learn how to speed climb and i feel like i can be a Proper speed climber now, and it's pretty awesome. Like learning something new and being a complete noob in the beginning, like just complete bumbly at it. And yeah, that's been pretty rad. And I think that like there's always that um that question of like who's the best climber in the world. And I think the one that can do the best across all disciplines is the best climber and i think that's the thing that we get out of this olympic format and that's pretty rad and yeah it came about because the olympics gave climbing one set of medals not two or three or whatever it's like here's one gold one silver one bronze and so the ifsc are left with trying to work out how to make it fair and i think this is this is brilliant like it's, it's been so fun. No one's going to c- compete in combined again. It's only come about like this because of the Olympics in Paris 2024, there's two sets of medals. So, speed is by itself. Lead and Boulder are together. Um, so, I don't think anyone's going to be comp- going to be training and competing in that combined format like how they are ever again. Um, but... Yeah, I, I was a super skeptic in the beginning of it all and was just, didn't want to be a part of it. But gosh, it, it it's awesome. It's really, really fun.
2: Yeah, it's, um, the combined discipline is really brought something great to climbing, I think. Um, and, you know, really over the last, I'm going to say 12 months, Leah and I have got pretty hooked on watching the IFSC um, combined championships and so forth. Um, we don't, we're not, you know, diehards like you two where we stay up until early <laughs> hours of the morning to we watch try it live to. We never but we'll end watch, up, we we'll never watch end the playbacks and you know the interesting part is you can have Reza or whatever the world record holder's mm. name is on the speed route Reza the Porsche and the Zanderbar spelt mm. out a PB on the speed wall but then they need to be able to back it up and at least give you know a half decent effort in the bouldering and the, and the league climbing as well to, to place so yeah yeah
3: so how do you feel, Tom, about competing against the big guns when it comes to the Olympics next year, this year?
0: Yeah, 2021, 2021. this year. Um, yeah, I'm pretty excited. And I think, like, that's another thing, hey, that you, you kind of realise, like, going to the World Cups the other year, it's like, yeah, you know, Jakob Schubert is Jakob Schubert, Adam Ondra, Alex Megos, like, all those guys, they're the big guns, but they're also just humans as well and you see them for who they are and it's just like just another human and i think not putting those people on pedestals like they're awesome they're proper awesome athletes but not putting them on a pedestal as well um
1: so you pull them off the warm-up wall if you need to get some space no problems
0: yeah own your space for sure (laughs) yeah you're another person there and they're just another person there and you just um you own your space and you, you do it and yeah I think um you can you can beat yourself before you've even pulled onto the wall if you talk yourself into them being better than you and all that kind of stuff it's just like nah I'm here I deserve to be here and and you go for it so um, yeah not making a meal of that stuff I think pedestals and all that stuff are, are great in a way but you gotta be able to climb up the pedestal to reach that person rather
2: than just leaving them up there on the lofty beanstalk So what do you think Australia needs to do to give their uh, Olympic climbers the best opportunity, success in the Olympics?
0: Yeah, I, I think that I think this is just the beginning of Australian competition climbing and just Australian climbing in general, stepping up onto the world stage um, You have a look at what goes on in the the dominant countries overseas like japan Slovenia, austria um there's a few other countries there but they're just they've built a culture around just being professional and awesome and they've just got this feeling of like yes we can to it and i think we just need to build that into the australian community and i think that's happening and we're getting there but You just, yeah, they've got this belief that it can happen and they've got the resources there, they've got the coaches, they've got the gyms, they've got the money and I think we are getting there. But I think there's got to be the belief in the athlete as well. Like it can't come from external stuff. It's really easy to sit there and go, oh, if the federation was better than this, oh, if I just got more money than blah, blah, blah. It's like you need to, as the athlete, you need to believe that you can do it and you know that comes down to owning your space on the warm-up wall at the world cup or even just at the state level competition because you know that's where it begins it's like yep that person may have won it the year before and you may be the noob or whatever but you got to own your space because like they paid their comp entry fee you paid your comp entry fee you own your space you deserve to be there. You don't give up your space because that person won the year before. It's like, no, it's your warm-up time. You do it. You take it seriously because they are. And maybe the reason that they do so well is because they do take it seriously and they don't feel silly. Own the space. Like just you, You've got to have that inbuilt belief. And it may take a little while and a bit of practice and all that kind of stuff. But no one, no one wins by thinking, oh, I'm probably going to come last like you just
3: no pedestals
0: no pedestals or at least leave the ladder rungs firmly attached so you can <laughs> climb up them like it's just um yeah I, I think we're getting there but it, it's a belief it's a culture it's a community thing like a we, we've had individuals go over in the past and and small portions of teams and, and done pretty well in the past but I think that we can build a community and you know a rising tide lifts all boats and if we can get good hard roots in the gyms we can get good hard boulders we can get a good community together and a good team then um yeah i've got got high hopes for an australian being on a proper international podium in you know at a world cup or world champs or the olympics even um within the next 10 years so
1: within the next seven months yeah yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and I think um you know because because it's harder for Tom to say this stuff from a practical point of view like we've got seven months to try and generate as much um time and training and funding as we can for Tom to get to if we can travel if he can travel with COVID which I'm sure there's exemptions for athletes and things that work around the COVID stuff but to get him to World Cups and to Austria for a training camp so that he can be training next to the other 19 people who are going to be in Innsbruck training on routes that are grade 31 and above um, so that he can actually be competitive, have a speed coach he can work with, um, keep working with Lee.
0: I think that's another thing too is like none of us in Australia, none of the climbers are professional climbers and it's um not even semi professional even like it's it's gear sponsorships basically mm. so um yeah we're all juggling work and and family commitments and all that sort of stuff I'm so i'm going
1: to do as much work as i can over the next 7 months so tom can do as little work as he can over the next 7 months
0: yeah the opportunities overseas with sponsorships and all that like kind of allow those athletes and you know it doesn't make up for the hard work but yeah Makes it easier. There's opportunities there, and and we're getting them here in Australia.
1: But anyone who wants to get behind Tom, or Osh, get behind him and Osh. She's got her team working for her down in Melbourne.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, it's cool.
1: Thanks for listening to us share our excitement about the Olympics. Um, I think I'll still get teary for the next 10 years every time I think about it. And um, thanks, Leah and Nori, for coming on as co hosts. Thanks for having having us back. (laughs) <laughs>
2: we we're really worried after the last one that we, we would thought never you might have not either. invite <laughs> us back again
0: <laughs> nah always inviting you around you did a good
2: <laughs> cut anyway well done <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and thanks tom for um actually going on the other side of the mic
0: that's scary actually it's uh uncomfortable so good job everyone that we've interviewed know what it feels like now it feels a bit spooky um yeah check us out on instagram um Baffle days. I think there's maybe underscores or maybe not. I'm not sure. Anyway, doesn't matter. You'll find us. Um, tell your friends, tell your mum, tell your dad. Um, have fun at the cliffs if you're getting out to the cliffs. Have fun indoors if you're going indoors. Give people a hug if it's safe to do so with coronavirus. If not, just send them a virtual high five or something.
1: And give speed climbing a go.
0: Yeah, but please don't make all the holds all like greasy and stuff for me because that sucks (laughs) so yeah but yeah you should give it a go it's pretty fun (laughs) (laughs) thanks everyone